0: Hey, this is Philip Craig here. I'm the pastor of Aria Church. This is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this empowers you. I hope it fuels your faith, and I hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Proverbs 11:24 24 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Everyone say larger. Gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and Smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. And so God has never intended anyone in this room to live a life that gets smaller and smaller or gets stuck. His intention is that day by day, year by year, decade by decade, that your life gets bigger. You have more friends. You're blessing more people. You're becoming more generous. And I've heard it said like this. You're never... You're most like God when you're generous. If you want to truly find out what God's heart is for you and your life, it is when you're generous, when you're giving, you're most like God. But but Phil, that's going to cost me. Exactly. If it's not costing you something, you're probably not following Jesus. Oh, it's a bit uncomfortable. Like Phil, I've already parked a mile away from the church and walked here, and now you're telling us this. I'm here to get encouraged. But here's the beautiful part. Jesus, uh, G- God sent his son to die. It cost him something, right? To set us free, it cost him something. But it wasn't, it was only the start, it wasn't the end. Yes, he died, but he rose again. See, a lot of the times in life, for our, lives to, for our lives to get larger and become generous, it's gonna cost us something initially, but your life will get larger. You'll, have, you'll be blessing more people in the long run. That's God's intention. It's going to cost you something. It's going to take faith. It's going to take trust that God is going to provide for you as you give, and it costs you something. But in the long run, God's going to reward you with people. He's going to reward you with more healthy relationships. He's going to reward you with open doors. He's going to reward you, and, and, and in the other side, at the other side, you're going to be thinking, "I'm so glad I have done that." God the Father is thinking, "I'm so glad I sent my Son." Because he's rose again and it all worked itself out. And now people have the opportunity to come into eternal life. I've given people hope. The people that I created, I've given them hope. There's people around you right now, and and you see a situation, a scenario, it looks like a shipwreck. It looks like a mess, it's broken, it's... uh, And you can actually do something about that, but it's not gonna look like control. It's not gonna look like you trying to make it better for yourself and be selfish and, and not have to pay anything. It's going to look like you're doing something that's going to cost you. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you your grace. You're going to fill yourself up with grace and then have to give it away. It might even drain you a little bit. That's why you've got to refill. It's going to cost you. To raise kids, it's going to cost you time and energy, but if you do it right and you give, you, you sacrifice what you do, in the end, you'll see the, the fruit of your labor and you'll see that it was good that you sacrificed, that it was good that you went through the pain barrier. But in the world that we live in right now, it's telling us the opposite. It's telling us that you you deserve better. You deserve better feelings right now. It shouldn't have to cost you anything. You you shouldn't be tired. You shouldn't have to to go bless that person who's hurting you or has hurt you. You shouldn't have to bless them I'm not, now when I say bless them, I don't mean you have to stay connected. If someone's, you're in a toxic relationship or, or there's a toxic scenario, it doesn't mean you stay in it. But blessing, is, you can bless people from a distance. Amen? Come on. Gotta love that one. And so, God's number one, a generous life grows larger and larger. God's design for your life is to live a generous life. You're most like God when you're generous. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> When you're offended, your life doesn't get bigger and bigger. When you're offended, your life doesn't get larger and larger. When you're offended, often what happens is you isolate. Your life becomes smaller and smaller. You start to be in contact with less people. You start to give out less generous comments and blessing people. You don't want to give when you're offended. You want to crawl up. You want to cover up. You want to protect yourself. And so what that looks like is you want to run from people. Now, if God's design is for his people to be in relationship, in a community, as we would call the church, a gathering of people, that's what church the word church means, a gathering, well, then, if you're offended often what people is people do and we do is, I don't want to go back there because it hurt the last time I went, I don't want to go back to church, I don't want to go back to group, I don't want to go back to community b- because I'm, I'm hurt, I'm wounded. Someone said something I wasn't expecting, someone done something, they should, they're Christians, they're supposed to be all perfect. And so what happens is our life stops growing, our life stops getting larger, it becomes smaller. And the enemy is sitting there happy, content because he's, ha- he's got his way. Because your life starts to become stingy. I don't want to give blessing to other people because they'll just hurt me. You start to make these statements that, that, that you say it's in the past, but it's not really in the past because the past is still your present. And so we're going to talk about a guy, Paul. Paul. Now this guy Paul in the Bible, some of you may know him, some of you may not, St. Paul or Paul, he he was a man who who was against Christians, he killed Christians, and so you think about this guy, uh, he just become a preacher, and he's sitting up there on the stage, he's preaching to people, and he's a pastor, and and, and everyone's thinking about his past because they know his past, and they're like, he should not be doing that, so Paul had to come into faith, and probably the best the best decision of his whole life, he came to faith in Jesus, his eyes were opened, and the first thing he faced was rejection of man. The first thing he faced is, you don't deserve this. How can we trust you? How can we believe that this is a legit conversion? You don't deserve it. How, how can you preach? You killed people. You killed my friends. You killed some of my uncles. You, you killed my cousins. You, uh, and so the first thing Paul done when he actually turned from his wicked ways was he faced rejection, disapproval of people. To follow God, it didn't actually start well. He didn't have a rich sense of community, probably in a lot of ways, because the people were against him, because they knew what he had done in his past. And if we're not careful, that's exactly how we can look at people. So often when we say, invite your friends, or there's a special event, people always invite the people who are already... It's easier to get, invite someone who's already a believer, right? Because they don't, they look more polished. <laughs> and actually maybe if you're thinking about inviting that person in your work, like they would never come to church. Uh, more or less what you're thinking deep down is they probably don't deserve it. <laughs> they probably aren't good enough to come to church. See, we, see how we veer back into that old way of thinking, that, that man-made, judgmental. And if we're going to be all that God has called us to be and we're going to live the life where we're not derailed by offense we're going to have to see and understand what true grace is and we're going to have to make a decision that I don't I'm, I'm not going to ever write anybody off no matter what they look like from the surface no matter what they've done in their past if we're going to truly bring the grace of the, our Lord Jesus Christ to the surface and to reality we're going to have to see beyond our natural eye And so here we have a scenario. Paul is serving Jesus. He's on assignment. God has called him. He's got past the offense of people pleasing. He's got past the idea of trying to please everyone around him. And he's on mission because he he, he converted. He came to know Jesus, not because of what a person said, but because of what God said. And so he's on mission, and all of a sudden he finds himself in jail. And he's on this ship, he's on this ship. Uh, and he's, in, he's, he's, he's taking captive, and, and they're going on a journey, and, and, and this is where we pick up, it says in, in Acts 27, and this is Paul saying, he's, he's seeing a problem, he's, he's seeing it's as if God's given him the gift of discernment, and he prophetically sees, listen, there's going to be a problem here, I'm pretty sure this, there's going to be a storm, and we better shift, and so he says here... Um, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo. He's given, he's naming it. He's like, listen, this is what's gonna happen. Um, Danger to our lives as well. So it's not gonna just be losing your possession, your finances, uh, our resources, what we've worked hard for. You're gonna actually lose, we could potentially lose our lives, like everything. But the officer in charge of the prison listened more to the ship's captain than the owner, and the owner than to Paul, naturally. Some of you right here, you've been giving some people advice in your life And in their lives, and you you can see from the outside, this is not going to go well. You need to stop doing that or stop going there or stop spending time with that person. You're going to lose potentially your life, resources, relationships. If you keep going down this road, it's going to cause dysfunction. Paul is crying out from a place of discernment. He feels God has given him this ability. And we go on, verse 14 and 15, it says, but the weather changed abruptly. And a, a wind of typhoon strength, called a northeaster, burst across the island and blew out, or blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship in the wind, and so they gave up and let it run into the gale. What do you think Paul's thinking right now? What What are you thinking? What are people thinking about you and your scenario? Like I told you, I told you. You just want to tell them, "I told you so." Paul's like. But wait a second, I've been giving this discernment, I've tried to help, I've tried to prevent this shipwreck, and they haven't listened. But why? Why is this happening in my life? Why are these people doing these things? When I have the answers, God, what is going on here? And so it goes on verse forty four, skip fast forward. The others held so so what had happened? The ship shipwrecked. The ship crashed. It fell apart. And so what happens is they have to jump aboard. It's a disaster. It's life-threatening. It's a mess. There's so much loss, so much devastation. And so this is what happens. The, verse 44, the others held onto planks of deb, or debris, debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to the shore. So everyone actually survived, but they lost everything. They lost their comfort. They, and, and what Paul had predicted came to pass. Some of you are in situations where what you predicted in other people's lives came to pass, but you couldn't stop it. You've seen it, but you couldn't stop it. And I want to focus for a second. What, what got Paul to his next season was not his own strength, what got Paul to his next season, to his next assignment, was not a perfect situation. It was not a, a situation with no mess or no muck or no dirt. It wasn't a situation with no gossip or no slander or no brokenness. It was actually a situation full of brokenness. It was a shipwreck. And so what they'd done is they grabbed onto the planks and they floated in to an island called Malta. Anyone been to Malta few people. So that's where Paul was hanging out by the pool for a while. And so what I want to talk to you about is some of us right here, we've experienced shipwrecks in church, in our family settings. We've experienced shipwrecks in our finances, emotionally, personally, with anxiety and different things like that. Some people have left their lives. It feels like a shipwreck. It feels like I've nothing much left apart from a few planks from the ship. A very, it feels like about one percent. Like, what have I got? Just a plank. It seems meaningless, it seems embarrassing. Especially when you maybe seen some things happening or, or you couldn't stop them from happening you couldn't stop the scenario. You tried your best to control the ship as much as you could but you realize they don't have much control, they're not listening. And you're, you're sitting there with a the plank. And I wanna encourage you that, listen, Paul had no say. He's seen but he couldn't stop. Some, some things in your life you've seen but you can't stop. Life happens. It's not always flowers and roses. Is anyone with me? Anyone experience any of real life? But listen, the beauty about it is God is still faithful. And so I, I, I've got a few things, a few planks that, that I feel like we all need to jump onto and grab onto at times of our life when we experience shipwrecks. Sometimes it's better being prepared for the shipwreck before it happens. We talk about groups, we talk about God's way, and I actually heard a preacher talk about this, and it's cheesy, but it's good. It's, it's, it's good because you're, you're gonna remember. A guy, Glenn uh, Burnett, a uh, pastor of Audacious, he was speaking one night up in Belfast, and I pulled this wee part from his sermon. You see, what I do is I go around and I listen. I, I read the Bible, I listen to f- different people, and I go and prepare a meal for you on a weekend, and I'm pulling from all kind of places. But hey, who, as long as the, the food's good, you're happy, Right? Um, donut from from what's that place called? Where's them donuts from? Taboo. We'll pull a donut from there and we steak from Steakhouse. So, so so the plank, some of you need to hold on to the plank, a part of the ship called worship. The plank of worship. That's all you've got left. There's nothing else. Everything around you is it's been destroyed. It's sunk. It, it, it's, it's nothing now. You need to hold on to the plank of worship. Because when you worship, you're giving praise not to the situation, not to the sin of man, not to the, the, the brokenness of yourself or the situation. You're giving worship to someone who is perfect. And he can still guide you even with a plank. And he can still give you safety, even with the plank, even just a little bit left. Just a few fish and a few loaves. He can can still provide for you just with the plank. And actually, you you can actually experience more intimacy with God just with a little plank. Just give him worship. God, I don't know what's going on right now. This is a mess. But God, I know that you're above and not below. I know that you're with me. Through the, hard, the hardest times of life and the valleys and the mountaintops, you're still there. I can worship you. It's consistent in both. The ship has gone. It's sailed. It's moved on. But, but it's not over. You've given me an assignment. You've called me. And if I'm still breathing, if I'm not dead, then you're not done. Yeah. Secondly, lordship. We need to hang on to the lordship of Christ. Listen, some situations you will never understand. Some things will happen in this lifetime that you'll never understand this side of eternity. And so when we, when we look to the sovereignty of God, the lordship of Christ, what you're saying is, God, I don't understand, but you do. I don't know even how I breathe, but you do. I don't know how I be- life began, but you do. God, God I, I'm relying not on the free will of man in this situation. I'm going to rely on your sovereignty. Because as people, we make mistakes with our free will choices. But God's grace covers it all. Amen? Number three, fellowship. You like this? It's so cheesy, but it's good. Fellowship. Oh, I don't want to be, I'm offended. I don't want to stay in community any longer. I'm offended. You see, actually, what you actually truly need in times where there's shipwrecks is you need fellowship. Fellowship. You need to be in groups. You need to be connected to other people who can support and encourage you. The plank of fellowship is essential. If you need to fight for it, it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you si- sitting in a group with some people, and there's some people that annoy you sometimes because they're more from a, di- they're from a different background. There's someone from an atheist background. There's someone from a Catholic background. There's someone from a, a Brethren background. There's someone from a Pentecostal background, and everyone's doing all these different things, and there's this tension because of our upbringings and I like to sing this song and you like to sing that song, we like to sing it at this level. And you know what, that's actually a healthy scenario because it, it, it's, a, it's a breeding ground for grace because you've got to start to see things from d- different people's perspectives and realize it's not just you. There's more people on this earth than me and my opinion and my ways and when we focus on the heart, it doesn't become about me and my ways. It's how can I serve you? How can I be generous to you? How can I make your world bigger? How can I f- help you to see a different aspect of God? How can I play my part? And you see, when it's outward focused, then all of a sudden groups like that thrive. When it's inward focused, groups like that pull apart and we lose our plank of fellowship. Fourth, swordship. You see, the word, this is so, so important. Watch this here. I was listening um, to a guy talking about Willow Creek Church in the States. Some of you may know it, Bill Hybels. Uh, and they had a massive church, you know, like some of the churches in the States. And, and the big question they had in their church was, are we actually effective? Because we've got a massive church, thousands of people doing thousands of different types of programs and groups and studies and da-da-da. And the big question was, do, are we actually effective? Are people growing? Are their lives becoming bigger and bigger? Are they becoming disciples? Yeah. And so they actually spent a few million dollars, right? A few million dollars on getting a company to come in and basically assess how effective are we are we at making disciples, or how effective are we at growing people? Because is this just are we just busy, just doing stuff? Or are we actually doing what we we've been called to do? And this company came in and done that and. You know what they came out with? They came out with that significantly, people didn't grow by any of the programs, really. They stayed busy. But guess how people, this is what I love, I love this. Guess how people grew? The only thing they came up with, a significant way of discipleship was this. If people read their Bible daily, they grew. <laughs> Imagine being in that church. Like, they're putting millions of dollars into programs, youth, you know, all kinds of different things going on, uh, investing tons of time. And it's not that those things are bad, but but the only time people significantly grew as disciples uh, uh, in their faith was when they were in the Word daily. (laughs) That nearly sounds like it's quite simple. That nearly sounds like we don't have to dream up big magic ideas of how we want to get people to grow in their faith. The only way you can get actually fit is by actually going to the gym. Oh. So talking about it on forums and, and watching it from a distance and just talking at the gym doesn't work. You actually have to get on the treadmill and do something. Oh, my. That's mind blown So as a church, if we can just get people reading the Bible and realizing there's power in the Word, that people will actually just grow it's that simple even though you, you read it and it's kind of it's foggy and you don't always understand everything that's being said and, but, but if you just get in it somehow some way you grow that's crazy why because it's so simple so simple and so if we begin the swordship the bible is called the sword it fights by the spirit the sword of the spirit It fights through the darkness. It it, it chops up our doubt. And if we could just believe the word for what the word says, then God will begin to change our life step by step. The Bible says, What is the rhythm of grace of being in the word? Meditate on the the word day and and night, the Bible says. If we can get some people in here to, to get in the word, I'm telling you, you will grow. And then when you grow, you've got something to give. You can be generous. You mightn't get offended as much because the Bible's probably the only book that you read that reads you. As you read it, it reads you. Conviction comes, oh, I'm gonna have to change that. It it begins to convict you of things that are wrong. But if if the enemy wants to do anything in the church or in a community of people, he wants to get people out of the Bible and into processes and into programs, and I'm not saying they're all bad, but I'm saying first things first has got to be in the Scripture. Is anyone with me? And lastly, discipleship, well, that partners with that point. The plank of discipleship is connected to being in the Word. It happens organically, naturally, out of that. Get in a group. We're not a, we're not in a, we're not a church of groups. We're a church with groups. And so here we go. It goes on. Paul has prophetically told the sailor, don't go in the storm, da-da-da. And so, so they've got on this plank, and the plank has actually brought them to the shore of Malta. And they've came to Malta, and then all of a sudden we're going to pick up here. This is chapter 28 in Acts. It says, once we were safe on the shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. You see, often a fire, especially in those days, even today, I was lighting fires all week. Out my back, I love a fire, a wee fire pit get around it, smell like smoke, uh, but it's worth it. And, and, and funny, in those days, um, fires represented community, like a church community. And they lit a fire, and it was for heat, it was warm, it was welcoming, it, it was a sign of, hey, we're glad you're here, come hang out. So, so straight off the bat we see, um, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. See, fire attracts people, but fire can also hurt people. The church is designed to be like a fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. God has talked about being a consuming fire. It's to welcome us. You see, we all know that the fire is lit. We're fully lit when people are being welcomed. Sometimes we think the fire of the Holy Spirit's here when something crazy's happening in worship, but actually the fire of the Holy Spirit is, is here when we're loving people, when we're welcoming people into the community. That's the true fire of the Holy Spirit that's the foundational fire of the Holy I'm not saying that God doesn't do other things and, and, and break us free from chains and, and, and there's more stuff goes on beneath the surface, but it starts with welcoming people with a loving posture and a loving heart. And so we know that the fire is lit here when people come in and they feel at home and they feel welcomed and they feel loved and they feel accepted. It doesn't mean they have their whole life together because I don't. I'm still working. I'm a work in progress, but, but it means that they're accepted just for being a human being on this earth and so we see that. Th- let's, let's move on um, it, s- it says in verse 3 as Paul gathered an armful of sticks uh, so, so Paul was doing something good he was straight onto this island after chaotic scenes out on the shore of Malta and the shipwreck had happened. He'd been probably devastated and just just thankful to have land, thankful to be living. And straight off the body, straight into helping build the fire. It was as if he was a born—he ser- he, he he was living this lifestyle of being a servant, a generous spirit. He was always giving, always helping. He didn't want to just watch in church. He wanted to participate. He didn't just want to watch in the community. He was gathering the firewood. It was costing him something, but he, was, he had a joyful spirit to go and bring the wood to, to the fireplace. And what ended up happening was, um, so, so as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging. See, so sometimes when you're doing something good, Something bad can happen. Sometimes when you're, you're getting your life back on track, when you're serving, some people don't like it. Some insecurity can rise up in you and try to hold you back. Some anxiety can rise up as you're trying to do what is right and bite you and try to convince you to steer clear to stop connecting with community, stop connecting with church, stop connecting with God's people. Sometimes when you're doing what's right, that's when the enemy strikes. And so here we have the heat rises up. By you beginning to step up into what God has called you to, sometimes that can make some people uncomfortable. And they try to resist you as the heat, the love of God, begins to to well up on the inside of you. And, And so we see here, It was driven out by the heat. So by the very thing that drew community. That was the very thing that inspired the bite from the snake. And bit him on the hand. And the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Everyone say, A murderer. No doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. See, second point, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. You might be doing something good, but you inherit a bad situation. In the middle of it, what do you do? Do you, do you pull back? And so it's a bit like this, Johnny. Come on ahead up. I love to surprise Johnny. I probably could have warned him, but I couldn't be bothered. And so, and so it's a bit like this Here. Johnny, just attach that to your to your nose, will you? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> just to your top. Are you going to ruin my jumper? Yeah, just ruin your jumper. It's going to cost you something, Johnny. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Johnny. And, and, so, and so what we have here, this is what often happens to us in life. We're trying to move forward. We're trying to do something good, yeah. And we're building the fire, and we're building the church, and we're building the community, and we're trying to build our friendships, and we're trying to we're trying to serve. And all of a sudden, we're trying to move forward, but, but all of a sudden, we remember the bite. And as we're going back to the fire to lay more sticks on, we remember, Flip the last time I'd done this, a, a snake came out. And, and, if, and if we just stay there thinking about what happened in the past, the last time I'd done this, it didn't work out. It, it was painful. It hurt me. It cost me something. What can happen is you're trying to move forward again in your life, but you're still connected. It, it, you're trying to move forward in the present, but you're still connected to the past. And so actually, as much as you talk about the past, this happened, in the past, that happened, this guy done this, this girl done this. Uh, I tried to do this, and they didn't let me serve here, and I'm offended because they didn't let me do this role, and, and I, he didn't pick me for the job, and da-da-da, and, and all of a sudden you keep thinking about the pain, and you think the pain's in the past, but actually the pain's still in the future. Sorry, the pain's still in the present. So you, you think you're talking about the past, but actually the past is still here and it's still connected. You're still attached. And the only way the Bible says, um, in, in Acts 28 and 3 and 6, it says, but Paul shook the snake off. So, so it wasn't the case of it's not just going to leave. It's attached. It's bit him. It's not, it's, it said it was on his hand. It's, it's, it's not just going to leave. It's bit him. It's connected. It's attached. It's sunk its teeth in to his hand. And so when, when you live by the word of God and you're like, no, God, you have called me to go here. You have called me to serve. It's, it's black and white. It's not gray. It's not a maybe if I feel nice. It's not a maybe if everyone's nice to me. It's not, it's not, it's not I'll be connected to church or community or, or life around God's community if everything goes to plan and there's no bites and there's no discomfort. No, it's, it's, just, it's, it's God's plan for humanity is that we are together that discipleship can only happen together. So we've got to work the word, black and white, and we've got to say, no, 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 this is not okay. I'm not okay with being gripped by a viper. I'm not okay with this unforgiveness staying attached. I'm not okay with with, with this bitterness being in my spirit. I'm not okay with it. And so it has to go. It's not a, it's not a gray thing. It's a black or white. It has to go. And so I'm going to shake. I'm going to shake until it, it, it releases the grip. I'm going to give it all that I've got. There's no other option. It has to go or else I die. The bitterness has to go or else I die. And so I've got to shake it. It's, this is sore. I've, I've got to shake it. Ah, get off. Get off. I for, what do I need to do to get this thing off? Get off me. Johnny, get off me. I forgive you. And the way that we get the attachment off of us to disconnect us to to on disengage is we 've got to bless when we think when we think we should hurt, we need to bless we've got to do the opposite to what our pain says because our pain keeps us connected our resentment keeps us connected but but when we we disengage by doing what God says is even though someone done you wrong, you do them good. Even, someone, even though someone or some scenario, it seemed like it was out to hurt you. You see, the viper or the snake in that situation was just doing what it naturally would do. It, it didn't have this big plan. It's not a human. It didn't have a big plan to kind of take Paul out. It was just doing what it was naturally, it was naturally reacting to. Some people have naturally reacted in your life and hurt you. But you're going to, it's going to kill you. The venom will kill you unless you continue to move forward. And the only way you can continue to move forward is if you shake it off. Everyone say shake it off. shoot off. Put our hands together for Johnny. And so we've got to shake it off. That means you have a part to play. The viper of the snake is staying attached to you until you shake it off. Should we get up and just do a wee shake right now, or that's going to cost you something? Number three, when, when people are life bites, you can shake it off. You can shake it off. It's funny, I had a kid, I was teaching during the week, PE, and we were, we were um, picking teams, and I always try to do it fairly, and I've said this before, picking four teams, and Yet again, like these kids, they've got their ideas. If they want to win, they want to do well, and we're playing football on the Astroturf. And one of the kids, um, everything was going well, everyone was happy. And I said, Now make sure you pick by ability because we want fair teams. I don't want one team getting slaughtered and just destroyed. It's unfair and no one enjoys it. And so came to about the third or fourth pick, and this kid says, No, I want to be in the green team. And I'm like, But you can't, you're being picked. You don't have the choice. This is not, you're not in control. The ship isn't you're not the captain of the ship. I'm the captain of the ship. (laughs) And 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 so he had to learn his lesson of like, listen, you can't just get what you want all the time. And so I says, Listen, you're in the plane team or you're not playing. He's like, Okay, I'm not playing then. (laughs) And he goes and sits down and puts a big long face on. And and then I just started the games. Like, I don't have time for messing around. I'm working two jobs here. I don't have the time. There's only so much grace here. I give you three seconds. You don't want to go. You're sitting in the dugout. And so he decided, he made his decision. I let him make the decision and he sat in the dugout by himself. And I, I was just like, it's fine. We're, everyone, we've got 99.9% participation. This is good. And, and everyone's playing. Everyone's having a blast. Having fun. And... He perceived the green team to be the best team. That's why he wanted to be on it, because he wanted to win, which is fair enough, but it's still not a good life lesson, because sometimes ships that you think are gonna work out, they get wrecked. And so it's a better life lesson for you to understand. Sometimes you gotta know how to to be a good team player in a team that's not doing so well. But so anyhow, the scenario worked itself out, and and he eventually started looking at everyone and enjoying themselves, and like, ah, but I, I, I really wanna play you know, when it comes down to it, it, kind of pride came down a bit, and was like, well, all right, I'll go. He kind of got up and said, like, sir, I'll go on the planes. I said, like, all right, go go for it. So work away. So he came in to the structure that we put in place. Next thing I turn around, he's, he's, pinging, he's, pinging, he's pinging shots into the top bag. He's pinging, that means he's putting the ball in the top corner. He's putting shots into the top corner. He's having the time of his life. And I just, guess what team won? The planes. They dominated everyone, and to be quite honest, I didn't think they would have won either. I thought he was going to learn a different lesson. But you see, sometimes that's that's like God. The ship sinks. All you've got left is what you perceive to be the worst-case scenario, and God brings you to Malta. And you're like, oh, it's not, you assume it's all over. You assume this situation is broken. I'm not even going to enjoy it. It's not even fun. No. I don't want to be in that team. I don't want to be in the welcome team. I want to be in the worship team, like Dylan on the keys. And sometimes if you just go with what God has given you, and you go with whatever plank is available. You see, the planks they grabbed onto, they weren't 20 miles away. They were right in front of them. The opportunity that God has given you is right in front of you. Stop trying to force something that's not possible. Just do what God has given you. God does the impossible, not you. And here we have Paul. And so what happens, I love this, is Paul is in a scenario, and people are saying, oh, he must be demon-possessed because he just got bit. It looks like in those days they assumed if you were sick, you didn't have God's favor. In those days they assumed if you were getting beat, God didn't love you. It was by performance. If, if life worked out for you, God's favor was all over you. But maybe what, what if the lesson that God was teaching people here and teaching us is that actually sometimes God's favor is on your life even when it's not working out. And sometimes God's favor is on you even more so when it's not working out because the grace of God is exemplified the best when you're in the valley and he brings you to a mountaintop. And so what happens is, and this is what you've got to be careful of as you live through life and as you, as you walk through life, is you've got to be careful that you don't live to please man or because if you live by man's approval, you'll die by man's disapproval. Paul here is is bitten by the snake and everyone jumped the gun and assumed, oh, he's from the devil, he's a demon. Everyone watch out for Paul, run from him. See, if you're living for followers, if you're living for followers, you won't find God in the storm. If you're living for the approval of man, you won't fulfill God's purpose in your life because you'll give up Right now, Paul was getting rejected again like he had from the very beginning. But here's the thing, just like Jesus was rejected, it wasn't the full story. If we're going to have some people who are going to do something great as a community for God, we've got to be okay with it causing, causing us to, to pay a cost, to pay a price. But it's an investment. You're not just aimlessly giving away. It's an investment, like the parable of the talents. You... you You're investing, and God will reward you with more. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things. It's a cost. If it's not costing you something, you're probably not following Jesus. It's heavy. It's not heavy, because the yoke is easy, and the burden is light. It's not about your strength. It's not about your might. It's about surrender and trust. And so what goes, it goes on to say is when they had waited a long time and they saw that he wasn't harmed, they waited a long time, some things you're going to have to do and it's going to cost you initially, and it might take a long time, but when people watch you, they see that, oh my word, God is on him, God is with her. God is with him. Because they, they lasted the test of time. They, they were pressed, hard pressed on every side. They came through excruciating pain and they still stayed true to the purpose of God in their life. And so what happens is they waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed and it changed their mind. They changed, their, they changed their, their mind. People changed their mind. People waver back and forward. Why? Because they're looking from the outward appearance. They're watching you from the outward appearance. They're judging you from the outward. They're making assumptions from the outward and so what then happened was, and they, they went from deciding he was a demon, to deci- deciding he was the diary God. From a demon to a diary. They, they went from thinking he, he was cursed, to thinking he was called. If you live to please people, you'll do nothing. You'll waver to and fro like the wind. Your, your, your path will not be straight. You'll not be content. You'll not truly follow and, and experience the true presence of God because the true presence of God happens often the most and, and in its most intimate and purest form when people are rejecting us. I'm not saying you go out to try and be rejected or you try and do weird stuff or anything like that. I'm just saying if you're, people aren't going to understand at the start, but they will at the end. And so what actually happened in this scenario is revival broke out because someone stood the test of time even through the pain, even though it cost, even though it hurt. They stayed true to what they felt God had spoke to them. And in the end, people realized God is with this man. What in your scenario, what in your life, where where is it going to cost you a little bit at the start? Maybe there's a relationship, some people in your life that you know have messed up or made mistakes. Maybe you have. But that's okay. There's time to make it right. It's not about getting it perfect. It's about having a humble heart, a teachable heart that you're willing to change your ways. And in the long run, people see that, oh, he's a man or a woman after God's heart. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's just a few things I'd like you to do. Subscribe to our podcast so the most recent message will always be in your feed. Secondly, if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can go onto our website at ariachurch.org and give now. And we will see you next time on the Ariat Church Podcast.